Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. That why don't we do something? We don't have any kids. We don't have any pets. We don't have mortgage. We have nothing to lose. For sure, you know that's one thing about being uh, growing up in uh, a culture where you don't have a lot is that you don't have a sense of loss when you quit a job. So both of us quit our jobs and we started our business in 1994. My guest today, Mei Shi, grew up in China during the 1970s. It was a very different time in that country's history when they were only just beginning to open up to the world. Handpicked by the government, May trained from an early age to become a foreign diplomat. But after Tiananmen Square, a huge political upheaval took place in China, and she was ultimately sent to work in a factory. That's when May decided to make a move, a literal move. She immigrated to America, where she discovered Bloomingdale's, a department store that to her eyes seemed like a literal paradise. And it's there that she saw something that everyone else had missed. The kind of insight that tends to come to outsiders, to people who look at something mundane with fresh eyes. What May saw was an opportunity to revitalize Bloomingdale's bland and outdated home decor section. And that insight led her to create Chesapeake Bay Candle a scented candle company that she eventually sold for $75 million. Meishi's story is super unique, and I feel like we only started to skim the surface of her deep reservoir of wisdom in this interview. This is Startup from the Bottom, hard-earned success stories from people like us. get into my conversation I have with Meishi. I was um, trying to start a business uh, when I was living in New York, when I was kind of bored with a job that I had. I started to go to a Bloomingdale 
the Bloomingdale flagship next door quite often. I noticed a big difference between fashion at that time. You know, was dominated by very clean, minimalist designs from you know Donna Karen, Yves Saint Laurent, and then I went up to the top floors of the department store and I realized that home and home fashion was very backward. You know, colors were dark, prints were very tiny, remind you of very old traditional. Very mundane designs and very ornate, you know, styles. And I was wondering why, you know, home cannot be more bold, cannot be more、mm. streamlined or fresh. So that's when I started talking to my then my then husband David.、Um, we started to think that because both of us were immigrant from China, and China was in their moment in the early nineties. Where they were、uh, rapidly growing their export business, and many of our friends work for those export business, and they have a lot of great ideas. So we said, why don't we start focusing on things that is home based?、Uh, maybe that's where we can make a difference. You know, with my eye, my 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 sense of style.、Um, so we started testing a bunch of product, and in the end, it's candles that really caught up. And that's when I focused on the category. And when I started working with、uh, candles, it's very natural to incorporate fragrance. And I didn't want to just stay like everyone else、um, at that time. As you remember, there are a lot of brands that are American. They all come in a jar and with fragrances like vanilla and、uh, mulberry.、Yes. Very straightforward. And I just don't understand why you can't make it more. Stylish. You can't make it also a little bit more complex. So that's how Chesapeake Bay Candle was born. Because I see the opportunity to bring some sense of fashion and style into a pretty sleepy industry. I love it. Let's back up a bit and and talk a little bit about what your childhood was like growing up in China in the seventies. Very different place than it is now. Very different places, and I, I think in a way that is probably what has been the most interesting experience for me is not just to be able to live my entrepreneurial dream, but it's also to say to many people that no, you actually may not need to be born into entrepreneurial house or giving a lot of classes when you were growing up.、Um, I was born raised in the era for a long time when China was very closed. Everything was pretty, you know. Everyone's pretty much wearing the same color, wear the same style, but you know there was something about looking for beauty that I think is always what I find myself.、Um, I live in a city called Hangzhou. It's、um, about two hours away from Shanghai. It's a very developed city with a long history of where poets and painters go and create. So it was a beautiful setting with very traditional, beautiful pagodas and bridges, very romantic in the sense of the ambiance. Even in a、mm-hmm. country where it's not very sort of prioritized in terms of、right. arts, I was lucky that in 1974, after Nixon visited China, and decided. That week,、uh, where he visited China to start this normalization, by 1979, China already realized, or the government realized, that because it's been so close for such a long time, they really don't have any career diplomats that not only speak language as well, but understand long histories and arts and philosophy. 
and it's not enough to teach students those only at university level. So they want to set up eight foreign language and diplomacy schools at a younger age so that they can teach at a younger age. And I was very fortunate. I went to a boarding school for diplomacy at 12. Um, and that was really what I would think my, my background is this uh, exceptional exposure and teaching in an emerging manner, but also an exposure to art and history at a very young age. So I would say this exposure, as well as the fact that to accompany the the amount of education, we were also exposed to watching movies. I remember watching Godfather at 14, which is so inappropriate to think back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. we did. Um, you know, after that exposure, I think it prepared me to have a very good foundation, not only to work in a different culture, but to really more than anything else, have a very global perspective. And that is something that I would go back to. It's not just an entrepreneurship that I think came with the fact that I was the only person in a family that spoke a different language, but it also was because of my training and exposure to those things that no one think about right away. You know, they think you go to school just to learn from the classes, but you also, because of that exposure, got to know so much um, just from passively observing things or being able to loop into a historical reference. And that, I think, was really great about my my education is to give me such a great foundation. Did you and your family at the time realize how, how great it was? I think my mother did. Um, my mother and father obviously really sort of thought it would be a good idea for me to enroll in this uh, school. So uh, for them, it's a big sacrifice. Imagine they send me to a boarding school, and that basically is like going to college here. So it's basically a loss. You know, think about how I only spend a day of a week with them. And even that, you know, I do a lot of homework, so I'm not spending real time with them. And then China never had really long summer vacations. It's probably a month at the best. So ever since 12, I was kind of, not really there with them anymore. And to look back, I would never send any of my kids going to boarding school for that reason. You know, it's a it's a huge sacrifice. Yeah. For them. At that point in time, what did you think your future looked like? I am so sure that I would be a diplomat. Um, and it was further cemented when I went to college in Beijing. And I was really in one of the best colleges for foreign service and diplomacy. I was tapped to do a lot of work for the World Bank. Wow. And again, they don't have a lot of career diplomats or career translators. So I was tapped to basically go along with the mission. And it's usually two weeks long. I would go with maybe 10 experts, what we call the consultants from the World Bank and the mission leader. And then I'll go to the local government and you know, I'll be the only one speaking both languages out of 50. So that was my four years in Beijing. But, um, you know, I hate to say it wasn't a great ending for me because I graduated. I was, was going to say, just, yeah. <laughs> just, like, uh, just like it was sort of good timing yeah. uh, in terms of when you were born for, you know, your, yes, yes. You know with a Nixon visit. Right. And now you're I was this not... ability of you to go to boarding school and, right. and be set on this path that was so different from what you might have thought. It was like sort of 
maybe bad timing that yeah, bad, Tiananmen Square happened. Bad timing, you. bad timing. And, and in a way, you know, when you think about COVID, it's almost a little bit like that. It's so abrupt. Uh, mm -hmm. It just, no one imagined something like this will happen, even though you could say, why wouldn't we imagine? But in 1989, China has opened for more than a decade. And nothing like this has ever been happening in the major city, let alone in the capital. Do, do you have any memories of Tiananmen Square? I was never really there that much. Um, I was traveling so much for work. I just remember the enormous amount of people. It was a very special spring. Uh, that spring was very warm. And we actually lost the secretary of the party, who was very much loved. You know, I was looking at yeah. the Queen's uh, funeral, the yeah. possession. And even though, you know, there obviously never going to be such a grand ceremony, uh, there was a lot of pouring of uh, sympathy for that general secretary. And people just loved how he does not allow corruption. And they use a protest on Tiananmen Square to share their sort of sentiment against the corruption that's going on. And that's how it all got started. So, so when it did happen, our grade, unfortunately, our year, we all graduate in the middle of July. All the high universities finish in the middle of July. And it was already after Tiananmen Square. So we were all sent outside of major cities, particularly Beijing, because they want to give us a second education. So literally, we were not, you know, working in offices. We were all working in factories and, you know, warehouses. And I was, you know, one of those unfortunate ones that not only am I away from the city, I'm going to be in the suburb and looking after a warehouse with minerals for export. So like you couldn't possibly think of a more different life where for a year, my job was to sit and watch not people, but minerals, you know, and they're like a pile of minerals. And then a truck will come and pick up a load in the morning and then a load in the afternoon. And that's all I do is I cross them on a, bored twice a day that would be my whole year and, and this was purposeful right because they the the, the government at the time after Tiananmen Square I, yeah. did, didn't want students to feel they didn't want you to feel empowered I think it's a you know it's definitely a strategy to first not have us being able to gather but mostly it's also a way from where we could organize ourselves but I think whatever they do, I didn't want to allow myself to be there for a year. It's just not something that that's probably the beginning of my entrepreneurship is that I found myself capable of going into an unknown world, an unknown future, and to take control of my, my happiness. I can say that now, but I also felt that I don't have a lot of choices. Hmm. I was not happy. I didn't have good food, which is very important to me. My then boyfriend, which later on became my husband, David, was living in Beijing. It was just not a life that I want to live anymore. You know, it's so hard to think about a whole year like that. And I always wanted to study in the U.S. anyway. I, I never know when, but this was kind of like pushing me to that goal. And that, and then I did. I spent a whole year gathering my paperwork to get a passport because in China at that time, private citizens are not allowed to go travel on your own. You have to have some 
personal relationships outside. And long story short, it took me a year, but I came to Maryland for graduate study. And so this this happens in your your did, was the mineral job was that like a mineral cultural job, revolution? Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. The, the, the job, job, the factory job right. with the minerals. Right, the mineral job was really completely fun. yeah <laughs> devoid of all <laughs> yeah passion. Yeah, from, it's it's boring. It's really boring. So they didn't do a lot of what's called political education, but there's definitely. Lack of stimulation.、Uh, there's no real work, right? There's no intellectual stimulation. As you know, for foreign language, if you don't practice, you would lose it. A year、yeah. of not using my language would be suicidal because I spend ten years practicing it daily. That's one of the key reasons for me to give up that career path to become a diplomat. Once you did make it to the U.S., were there? Where did you land, and and were there any culture culture shocks? <laughs> did you, did you feel? I don't feel a lot of culture shock. Remember, we have been preparing for this day for such a long time, and I have had friends in the World Bank who actually opened their home to me. So my first month was actually spent on embassy row, where my very good friend and my boss,、um, he really helped me with the transition. He and his wife,、uh, they're empty nesters, so they could, you know, shuttle me to different. Fun places each weekend when I went to see them, it really helped me ease into the life. And once you, when you get to the U.S., you develop a fascination maybe with the、uh, with Bloomingdale. I know who wouldn't, <laughs>、uh, if you are a fashionista and your company puts you in a hotel next door and you don't have anybody you know yet in New York. So I ended up going there after every meal. Every dinner, I came back to my room and I said, "Okay, let's see what they have." I remember, you know, the ladies that spray fragrances at people, and most of them say, "Don't spray me," and I'm always saying, "Spray me and tell me what's new today." So I think <laughs> I end up. Th- this is probably another sign that I was interested in fragrance because、uh, I love when they spray fragrances on my wrist. It kind of gave me a fresh sort of wake up. Yeah, I love it, and I. Love the fashion floors. You know, it's really something I grow up loving is fashion, and I never really was able to wear any designer clothes, obviously, until much later. But I can spot a good thing from a distance. I know what I like and why I like it. And interestingly, even today, if I go into a art gallery, and I'll ask, I really like this painting. And how much does it cost? And they always look at me and say, "But that's the most expensive painting. <laughs> how did you know?" <laughs> and I said, "I don't know that.、Um, I just it just speak to me in the sense of there must be something about color or the composition or the subject matter or the the emotions." So I, I'm fortunate. I have a very good eye for that. Great eye, great <laughs> nose, great instincts in general. It seems. Well, the, the, those are dangerous for people. If they have too much money, so I always joke with my friend: If you need to know how to spend money, just come. If you need to spend, let me know. I'll help you with that. <laughs> well, you know what? It's true. You know what? As I've noticed in life, you it's the the saying is true. You really cannot buy taste. So、right. the fact that you have both the both the money and the and, taste and to come is, from is, a country I, I, that has none. When I was growing up, it's、yeah. very interesting. People still don't understand. You know, you didn't grow up with a silver spoon. How did you do that? I said, Well, you know, you'd be surprised if that's 
all you do is to admiring at things that you couldn't have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Studying it as a subject matter, because a lot of the arts, uh, you know, classes were about compositions or lighting and, and shadows. And I think those things come very handy after all. After the break, May explains how the bleak and boring home decor section at Bloomingdale's became the driving point that inspired her to start her multi-million dollar scented candle company, Chesapeake Bay Candle. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. You're growing up with very little and only really able to see things from afar. You do have a sense of style. I, I imagine being able to go to a place like Bloomingdale's must have just really... Um, it's a paradise. It's a paradise. It's a paradise. It is like a, you know, it's like you're going into... A Disney World and the ride is just so stimulating from every angle. It's not just the color, it's, it's the mannequin, it's the fragrance, it's the, it's the scale of a certain design. It's very uh, shocking, but stimulating. That's why I can't get enough of it. And I'm always there to observe. But I think I do realize 
quite quickly, actually, in the early 90s, when I started working in New York, that fashion at that time has already start starting to focus on a more gender-neutral, minimalist trend, borrowing from menswear in terms of a fabric. Then they use the color of menswear. However, the tailoring is extremely sort of feminine, so that at once you have this powerful yet sexy look for a woman. Mm. And I love that combination. I hate dainty, you know, dainty uh, floral prints. I like always solids and cling and piece that speaks to texture and, and quality of uh, fabric, but sculptured in a way that is for a woman's body. And this is what ultimately inspires you once you realize this isn't happening in home decor. Home decor is behind. You realize I can do it. Like you, I should be doing it. I think maybe it's because, you know, at that time, at least for Bloomingdale's, the industry that has, you know, the most fashion designers are the fashion industry. There are furniture designers, too, but they are not yet dominating because our style in the hotels or restaurant are still quite classic. Right. However, I have been lucky that I traveled to Europe already by the time I went to New York for my work. And I know when I went to London, which was uh, the trip that I was invited to, I noticed the Europeans have that blonde wood that is not finished, mm. which looks so much better with the bolder colors, blonde wood that is natural, right? It's untouched. Mm. It just looks so fresh. It is at once very fresh, but substantial. And it really highlights the texture much better. I absolutely understand why you are able to sell candles <laughs> as well as you are, because you have a way of talking about these things that make me that that make them appeal to me in a way you know that in a way I, I don't quite understand. You have a way of articulating exactly what it is I'm feeling when I when I look at something that I find to be striking and explaining you, it. You you will you will know as soon as I put that sort of in front of you. But it's it's difficult to say why people like textures, but in general, all of us humans like textures it's just more interesting yeah. right it's not like and it's not manufactured it's more natural it's more nature inspired so right. that's where i know it existed already it's just that for some reason it's not caught on yet in the world and it's definitely not caught on in the u.s so yeah. i continually talk about this to david uh, my ex-husband who was in washington at some point he got tired and he said why are you complaining about the floor uh, on the top? Why don't we do something? You're tired of commuting. I was commuting at that time between D.C. and wow. New York every weekend. So why don't we do something? We don't have any kids. We don't have any pets. We don't have mortgage. We have nothing to lose for sure. You know, that's one thing about being uh, growing up in uh, a culture where you don't have a lot is that you don't have a sense of loss when you quit a job. So both of us quit yeah. our jobs and we started our business in 1994 here in Maryland. Wow. And how did you arrive on the name Chesapeake Bay? At that time, you know, we have always loved the water, not because it's particularly clean or tranquil, but the fact that around Chesapeake Bay, the bridge and the surrounding area, it just looked very quaint. You know, most of the places in China, because we have so many population, I mean, the population is so big, 
um, everywhere you go, it's a big crowd. It's very rare that you could go look at a bridge or beautiful picture, picturesque town center, and it's not crowded every inch. And I just remember one day we was we were watching some sailboats with our dog, my first dog, and it's just that very crisp blue sky with very dark water and the white sail in the distance. That's such a Americana visual, and that feeling is what I want to capture in the candles. It's that sense of relaxing, unassuming, and nature inspired. With a botanical fragrance-focused collection, it's amazing how when you're living outside of the American dream, <laughs> you have such a firm you, understanding yeah, you, you, of what right. America <laughs> looks like. You it's, take it for granted. It's another interesting thing. I don't know if you've been to Asia. Is that we have a lot of parks, and parks are really doored, like gated, and there is a lot of man-made sort of scenery. And it's relatively small, and it's always filled with people taking photos. So that sense that you don't have a gate, you don't have a fence, it's also very liberating. There's something free about yeah. that. You can have it. You can go with your dog. Even that's almost like too good to be true <laughs> for for <laughs> for someone that doesn't have a lot of experience traveling at that time. Right, right. But when when did you realize that this is a viable? Business opportunity. It's pretty immediate. We, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but the first year we went into business, it was 1994, and it was already September 1994. We did half a million dollar worth of sales the first year, and the next year you, we did. Uh, I even you did. we did even then the next year we already did 2.5. So we know that we hit. A nerve with so Americans. <laughs> Did you have okay? So uh, <laughs> that's pretty obviously staggering numbers. Have, I know lots it, of oh, candles. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. it, it is. Obviously, you, have, uh, you, you had this great education in China, but to, but to come here and to be able to figure out how to start a business and then make do those kinds of sales is is, is it is staggering. How did you know how to approach your company early on? How did you know how to exactly the steps you needed to take to make your company? One, exist, and two, let it thrive so quickly. Well, I think the timing is very important. You know, when people ask me, how do you succeed? When do you know it's the right time? I always say you want to get into an industry when it's on the rising. You don't want to go in there when it's declining and you think you can save the industry or you can be the cheapest guy. Being the cheapest guy is never going to be sustainable. So for uh. me, I realized that Candle has been around for a long time, but fragrance candle have not. And fra right. fragrance candle company has been dominated by, I'm sorry to use those words, but white men who pretty much were brought up with only one vision, which is, you know, country and grandmother's cookie jar kind of look, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just, it, nothing about me would, I don't want to be caught burning a candle like that at home anytime. <laughs> And I don't want anybody to think that I'd make any of them. So to me, you know, it's, it is you're laughing because do you want to be associated with the grandmother's cookie jar candle? No. You don't. Because I might want to eat them, but I don't want to burn them. I in my know. House. No. I mean, who wants to burn a cookie jar candle? I mean, there was a guy that actually come up with a fragrance called hamburger. And I'm like, seriously, of all the 
fragrance you can think of you are dreaming of smelling your own fat hamburger <laughs> so that is what that's what is, is driving me crazy but long story short as you can see um, i have a lot of opinions about fragrance i love it i love it i could hear i could listen to these all day yeah. so the long story short is that i don't think it's because i'm uh you know i need a a lot of experience to get into this when you're on the ride even you know, we say that the rising tide lifted the boat, right? So this little boat yes. was lifted because I was riding on a very high uh, tide. But what's unique about me is, don't forget, I immediately connect my manufacturing with China. Not many Ooh, people right. figure out their supply chain. And I hate to mm. say, that's probably the number one mistake for people that get into the product-driven business, is if you don't have strong partners in supply chain, you could go very far with ideas, but you would not go very far with the scaling of the business. So talk, talk a little bit about how you charted out your supply chain and, and how someone today might do that. I, I like the word supply chain. I su I charted out my supply chain. It sounds really like May has this strategic group of people that's looking at her and she say, I want to charter my supply chain. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, it's me and my hus ex-husband is we look at each other and we were so annoyed with the fact that because I want to design my own candle and because I want to put fragrance in a candle, no one in China actually want to do my business. I went to show them how you make a fragrance candle and then say, but who's going to buy it? I said, well, I'm pretty sure if you make it for me, I can sell it. And they say, but how many containers are you going to buy? Container meaning those 40 foot truck that you see on the road. Wow. I say, how many containers? I want 300 of each color. And that's all I can buy. They say, no, we're not going to sell you. So it took us a long time to realize. I remember we even went to an investor to see if someone can invest in our business. So they asked me, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to make candles. And then they asked me, but what does a candle do? That's when I know. Mm. I said, <laughs> okay, this is not going to work. No one's ever going to. If they ask this question, what does a candle do? So I told my family about it. Um, and then both my sister and my brother-in-law decided that they had a boring job as well. It's called computer scientists. And that They wanted to <laughs> join the fun. That's how I found my supply chain. Is I just, I just announced that it's something I wanted to do. So, you know, even today, my sister's factory is probably the biggest now in the world. And I really think I have something to do with with what happened to that business. But most of all, she deserves a lot of credit for taking a risk on me and trust my instinct. So your sister and brother-in-law in China leave their computer science jobs and start a factory? Yeah, out of nowhere. To help you out of nowhere. They've never been to a factory. To help you create your candles. To help me pour candles into a, you know, into a mold and take the mold out. They learned everything because I learned everything from people that I, you know, that's something you can um, think about. As I don't know how to make candles, right? And there's no YouTube in 1995. So what <laughs> happened is I went to a fragrance vendor 
His name is Peter French. He's based in New Jersey, like many other fragrance vendors, and he also supplied pigments for the the dye for the color. Right, the color. So mm-hmm. he taught me everything, and the rest I figured it out step by step, by try and true. And he's still my very good supplier if I work with them. But you know, I sold my business five years ago. How much did you end up selling the company for? It's not a, a huge amount, but it's still a lot for uh, you know those of us that comes from a background of almost nothing. I think it was seventy-five million dollars. That's amazing. When we come back, more from May Shi about getting her candles placed in Bloomingdale's and new challenges she faced after finding success. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today. So once your sister decides to jump in the fray and start this factory to help you make your candles, pour your candles and bring them to the U.S. and sell them, what were the other initial startup costs and, and, and how did you go about covering those? I went to trade shows and at trade shows, I met a lot of smaller business owners. By the end of 20, 1995, I already have over 2,000 business accounts. 
But I really want to work for the major companies. That's when I just pick up a phone. You know, those are the days you still have a yellow page, and I just、yep. call the buyers at Bloomingdale's who gave me an、uh, an appointment, who I sold on the spot because he can tell <laughs> that they, his floor is so sleepy, <laughs> he couldn't wait for me to ship him. So. It's an amazing ride.、Um, I, I, that's all I can tell you. It's if you hit the nerve, if it's the right moment, and you can deliver, which is very important. It's almost like you couldn't go wrong.、Wow. You have no competition at that time. Wow! And so, how quickly did you get into Blooming? So you're in Bloomingdale's in what? In nineteen ninety five, and、um, the next year, I, I, very yeah, next year. I met them in nineteen ninety five. I think the delivery was in February of nineteen ninety six, and I remember by April when I went back to Bloomingdale, I saw my candles displayed throughout the home、oh、floor. It's such. You know, Literally a year and a half after、yeah. you start this business,、yes. you're you're、yes. you're you're able to walk into Bloomingdale and, and see your candles. And the flagship store、there. that I always went to, it, it's such a great feeling. It's almost like they know you're coming, and they used one color only. They used that green. This um, you know, it's almost like a, a honeydew green, and then、yeah. the white. So how fresh is that for spring, right? So it's a white、yep. and like that that lime green, and it's so beautiful. It's throughout the whole home on the tables. Dining room、um, table, on the coffee table, bathrooms—they just set it up throughout the whole store, and I'm so happy about that. How would you characterize your experience from 1994 through 2017 with Chesapeake Bay Candles? It's a pretty wild ride, <laughs> but I was very—I <laughs> was very dedicated to the business. I didn't really have a lot of break in terms of my career or a huge. You know, time for me to think. I do have to stop in 2017 because I was finding that I had a breast cancer in in the、yeah. end of 2016, and it was a pretty aggressive cancer. Even though it's stage one, I have to get、um, surgery and chemo, six months of chemotherapy. So it's very intense, and that's when I decided that the company need a, a steady hand, and it needed. Uh, someone that can give it a hundred percent. It's a very hard decision, but、um, it happened.、Um, right. And I sold the business by the time I finished the chemotherapy. And what were your feelings around letting it go? It's hard,、um, and you know, I was not a person that can sit around and you know just enjoy some slow time, and I. Know for sure, I cannot just do a regular retirement. I have to be stimulated. I have to be curious. I have to learn new things. So, I started giving a lot of talk about entrepreneurship. You know, I was invited to speak at podcasts like yours or in person.、Um, I realized that a lot of times, women audience are the one that want to talk to me. Because most of their businesses are so much smaller, I think the majority of women-owned businesses do less than even two hundred fifty thousand dollars, let alone a million. And that's the moment when、um, I decided to do more with them. And then came the pandemic. I heard from many of them, and a lot of them were overseas, and their business completely depend on tourism. And when their country was shut down. Their orders were canceled because the stores were closed, 
And I realized that instead of helping them from a consulting perspective, maybe I can help them by setting up a platform. So that's when Yeshime was born. It's in June of 2020 with the hope that, you know, we can help those women to reach consumers online. Yeah. So you have Yes, She May, which is sort of provides mentorship to to women entrepreneurs, right. to female entrepreneurs. Right. Looking back, how did you feel your experience was as a, as a female entrepreneur? Well, I didn't think about myself first as a female entrepreneur. To be honest with you, I always think about myself as a consumer product entrepreneur. And my being female may be actually very helpful because I have the insight I'm also the user of the product that I design and create. So I understand the pain point. My challenge to a lot of consumer product company is that I don't think there is enough of point of view from consumer that was always reflected. So you can think of Victoria's Secret for a very long time. The bras were not designed for women. They're designed for a different audience, for the people that's, you know, looking at them. I don't mean it yes, in a bad yeah, way, right. but you know, you have the Victoria's Secret runway show and it's completely overtaking what really is that brand supposed to be. They're supp supposed to be the best friend of a woman. They're supposed to make her feel supported and nourished and cherished. Yeah. And I feel none of the materials or the designs speak to that. So if I have been incorporated in the decision process, that message should have been heard loud and clear. We're going to lose market share because we're not inclusive. We don't use the comfortable fabric and we make look, women look like, you know, they are doing other business. So that voice is not heard on the top to the bottom level in that organization. And there are many consumer product companies that are still not waking up to see the world they're living in. And our world has changed. Our young consumers, they want nothing to do with companies like that. They want a company yeah. that stand for something that minimum should stand for understanding them. Be humble about mm. what you're serving and who you're serving. Well, May she, you are my favorite candle maker. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I'm a big fan of candles. And so I really want to thank you so thank much you for your so time much. today. Thank you. And I hope we get to speak again. Thank you, Justin. I hope you enjoyed my uh, my long-winded dialogue. <laughs> Look, there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot more we could talk about Absolutely. as well. So one day we'll do it again. Thanks thank so much, Thank you May. again. Have a wonderful week. You as well. Bye-bye. That was May She, founder of My Favorite Candles, Chesapeake Bay, and also the new online shop, Yes She May. I get to speak with some truly passionate, intelligent entrepreneurs on this show, and I'm so glad I got to share this conversation with you guys. May She left us with a major point. Listen to the consumer, to the people you're trying to serve, your audience, and understand what it is that they want. It's so obvious, but also at the same time, it's just refreshing to hear someone actually say that out loud. Started from the Bottom is produced by David Ja, edited by Keisha Williams, engineered by Ben Tolliday, booked by Laura Morgan, with production help from Leah Rose. We're executive produced by Jacob Goldstein. Our theme music's by Ben Tolliday and David Ja, featuring Anthony Ags and Savannah Joe Lack. Listen to Start It From The Bottom wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want ad-free episodes available one week early, sign up for Pushkin Plus. 
Check out pushkin.fm or the Apple show page for more information. If you like our show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. I'm Justin Richmond. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.